Let's take our Bibles and read from Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. It is somewhat difficult to read a chapter in Proverbs and when you're wanting to teach especially one or two things from the chapter and from the rest of the Bible because Proverbs is a list of different ways that the wisdom of God is to be expressed. So there's talk in this chapter about wisdom of God uh, with regard to riches, with regard to being wise and not fools and, and always being careful. And in this chapter also there's uh, instruction on training up children. So what do you focus on when you come to Proverbs? Well, the way to deal with it ultimately and basically is just remember that we're learning the wisdom which is Christ. That will tie this all together, but let's consider the first 15 verses of Proverbs 22, and remember to make sure that your thinking is tied together by the one word of wisdom, Christ Jesus. Hear the word of God. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple passes on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. The lazy man says, there's a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Just going to stop right there. There, returning to the theme of raising children, the wise man would have us uh, meditate. But what I want to do this morning, beloved, and also in a sermon this afternoon is to bring up the importance of the instruction of the covenant seed by the homes and by the church home of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is one of the outstanding verses that is referred to 
times like this and always, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I say it's one of the most popular texts on Christian instruction, the instruction of youth from their youth on up, but it's also one of the most misunderstood. We shall consider that this morning. But we want to remind ourselves that here in the Proverbs is something that's a common theme throughout the Old and the New Testament, the instruction and the importance of the instruction that the church engages in, not only of the children, but of the young people and the young adults and of all of us. The instruction goes on. After all, the calling of Jesus in the Great Commission is that the disciples would go forth and disciple the nations, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded, and thereby, as the conversion of God's elect occurs, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The teaching itself is baptized and set apart and consecrated by Jesus as something fundamental to the church. She teaches, does the church. They teach, do the parents of the children of the covenant see. We all are in this business of learning what is taught by God through the church in light of his word, and so learning to be able to teach others with a spiritual magnetism and energy that causes the people of God to be brought to life and quickened and enlightened by truth. This is what sets apart the church of Jesus Christ, not only her message, but her methodology. She is this one with the message of the good news of salvation, and her method of communicating this is by instruction. The means of grace, not only, but the people of grace, we are teachers. Grace itself having visited us to teach us that we are God's people and we should live a certain way according to the instruction that God gives. This is to encourage us, is this, this whole revisiting of the calling of the church and to rebuke us when we stray, when we complain, when the work is too hard, rebuke the children not only, but the parents who don't want to involve themselves perhaps in the work of the instruction, which requires work to be sure, and patience with children often who need long-suffering and patience as they would learn their lessons. So we would consider this as Church of Jesus Christ, the education of the people of God here and in our homes under the theme this morning, training up a child. And want to consider, first of all, what that means and then how we are to do this, and then the blessing, which again is often misunderstood, when that child who is taught is old, he will not depart from it, from the way that he's been taught. So we have this word of God, the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of God about pedagogy, the training of children who are just children and in need of direction, correction, instruction, rebuke, and as Proverbs goes on to say in verse 15, 
sometimes the rod of correction. This is a common theme of the Bible. The covenant people to whom covenant was made and the generations had to hear. And the first word that they had to hear, one of the first words about their calling to instruct their children is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can turn with me to that word of God. And here, in the context being this second giving of the commandments, Moses is inspired to read to the people or to, to say to the people what will be absolutely necessary if they are to stand out in the world of Canaan. They are to hear the word of God. In chapter 6, verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And then this, which is called the Shema, after the first Hebrew word here, Shema, is what Israel is called to do. And this, even to this day, is a sacred word of the Jews. This passage and others combine to be the Shema, the first thing that Israel ought to hear if she is to be God's outstanding people. Hear, O Israel, this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, implying that there's no other God. The God of Israel, Jehovah God, is the only God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the first word of Deuteronomy 6 of the Shema. And I want to pause there before we speak about what we often emphasize here in Deuteronomy 6, the instruction of the children. The instruction of the children is absolutely nothing if there is not the love of God. It is worse than worthless. It is simply the work of causing children to memorize things and doing this simply because, well, we want to keep the elders off of our back. We want to feel good about ourselves. But if there's the love of God in the hearts of uh, of the parents and those who are being taught, then this is sanctified hearing and sanctified doing of the Word of God. First thing we have to remember, as we would engage in the task of the pedagogy and further instruction of all of us in this church, we are those who are loved of God to love Him. And this is how we show that we love Him and observe His commandments and believe His promises. There's love to God. And love to God's word, of God's word here. There's love of this God who's the only God and whose word is the word of light and life. Out of that love, we are to do this. These words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them, these words, when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now that, I say, is fulfilled uh, or is listened to literally by many Jews, Orthodox Jews today. They have on their doorposts, these 
remembrances of the Shema and other passages, so that coming in and going out of the house, they're reminded literally of what they are to hear, what they are to believe, and what they are to do and instruct their children to do. We ourselves who have the word of God in our heart need not things written like that on our doorposts, though we need lots of reminders, don't we, that this is our calling. The text in Proverbs 22 reminds us as well of the Shema and the the sacred obligation of all God's people. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, from that way. The way of God here is ultimately Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Proverbs 8 speaks of the Christ personified as the wisdom of God, possessed by the Father in the beginning of his way. Very interesting description of wisdom and of the Lord Jesus in Proverbs 8. A great series of sermons could be preached on this, this wonderful wisdom of God who was possessed in the beginning of the way of God, the very beginning of the counsel of God, if we could even think of a beginning to an eternal thing, the very counseling God had on his mind this way for a people and a history outside of himself. And it would be a way that would be performed and revealed, executed and accomplished, this counsel of God, this way, through his Son. His Son being the Word of God by which God would make all things and uphold all things. And this Word of God who would be in the beginning with God, who was God, also the savior of a world out of a world that would fall. Jesus Christ would, in the fullness of time, show himself to be and tell himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, the way back to God. Jesus Christ is the way in which we are to train our children, We are to train him of Jesus Christ, that wonderful Son of God, that wonderful Mediator, that Savior. Your Savior, we speak to the children. Your Savior, because his way is to save from our own midst his own. The promise, which is Jesus, is to us and our children, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is that our little children shall not be as heathen among us, but they shall be with us, the people of God. They are of the family of God as much as we are, even as much as we are in Adam when we are born, so are the children. Nevertheless, by the grace of God working, there is this working of the regenerating and renewing power of God to bring us into fellowship with God early on. And so, not only a John the Baptist leaps for joy at the mention of Jesus in the womb of his mother, so our children and we leap for joy 
when we hear the word of the way to God. This is so needed. Because if there's not this way, there's nothing to teach the children. That is significant or true or life-saving. Imagine if we would teach the children or be called to teach the children in this book or some book, maybe a book on psychology, something that would be appropriate to whatever they desire. Teach them of what they ought to desire according to their desires. Imagine that. Well, the child would go in that way of his desires and would be all messed up, to be sure. We know that. We see that today in our society. Everybody teaching of their own ways and yielding to the ways and whims and decisions of children so that they can be just, be equitable, be what? I don't know, fair to the child in its own particular identity, I suppose. But it's all a mess. And there are many ways, because there's many children, and all of them, as well as the parents, are sinful, full of sin. There is something that has to be beaten out of the child, as the Bible says so. By the rod, you beat out of the child the the wickedness. But there's something also that desperately needs the grace of God to win the child to God and his way and not the ways of our own flesh and tendencies. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. This is the problem of education and certainly the problem that's not fixed when we let the child go their own way. But it's the way, the way of God, Jesus, the wisdom of God, the word of God, everything about that way. God in the flesh is Jesus, God the Son, the eternal and only begotten Son of God, the natural Son of God, essentially one with the Father, not subordinate to him in his divine nature, but who becomes this one who is a servant of God so that he's this God and this man, this God who is sovereign and king, and this man who becomes this servant, as Isaiah prophesies, the servant of the Lord, to do the will of God, to save a people, to bring them back, into the house and home and love and fellowship and arms of God. Jesus is the way, described as a way. And this is the remarkable thing about all of Proverbs and the whole of the Bible. It speaks of this way of God, the way that the child should go and we should go in our church is the way of God. The instruction that we give in catechism, Sunday school, Bible study in your homes as well and in this pulpit is not the way of man, not the way of certain preference of certain people or one child or whatever, but the way of God. What makes it so the more amazing is that all the ways of God 
are higher than our ways, Isaiah the prophet says in chapter 55. My ways are not your ways, and your ways aren't mine, and my thoughts aren't your ways, and your thoughts aren't mine. But there's this way. There's this way that God makes revealing that God will have us to know something of his ways in this one way. He'll have us know something of his holiness in this Jesus, the brightness of the glory of God. He'll have us know something of his being the God of all grace and life and truth and and this forever God. Even though naturally and because of the, the, the infinite gap between us, it's impossible. God does the impossible. In giving us this way, Jesus, giving us Bethlehem and his birth there, and wise men visiting and bowing before this child king, giving us the revelation of Jesus Christ walking the earth doing miracles and teaching his disciples of the way and us now in the written word, and giving us the way of God On the cross, that's what God does. In the way of the resurrection, in the way of the return, God gives us Jesus. And we're to train up a child in that way. And in the Old Testament, it was the same thing. The wisdom of Solomon is the wisdom of God, after all. And the wisdom of God is always Christ. The way that God reveals things, accomplishes things. The center of it all is this wisdom, this this virtue of God to do everything so that he gets the glory in anything and everything. That's what the way is. That's who Jesus is. And this way of life is, is life, and not just, well, we have a head full of knowledge. It's the way of life. You're teaching Jesus to the children, And you're teaching wisdom to the children. And you're teaching them to behave then in a certain way that shows that they know the way. That way is faith. That's what it is. That way is believing. Teach the child in the way he should go. Teach them of Jesus. And teach them, well, I'll call it this, the way to the way. That in order to... Know the way, we must believe the way. As Jesus himself even says, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet who believe. And constantly the Bible is calling us to believe on the Lord and to be saved. And when you're saved, continue to believe on the Lord. Talked about this on the way over here to church this morning. Our unbelief is great, isn't it? That's our problem And that's the child's problem, too. Because unbelief, you know, loves friends. Unbelief cannot exist alone. You put unbelief in a bag, for example, you carry this bag of unbelief around you, and unbelief wants, well, unbelief wants um, everything to be about itself, selfishness. Selfishness has to go into the bag with unbelief. If 
You're not believing in God. You believe ultimately in yourself or something else, but it's about yourself and your needs being met. And so selfishness goes in the bag with unbelief. And then all of the other things, departure from truth and all of this, they go in the bag so that there's baggage with unbelief. You know what I'm talking about? If bad things happen, self-pity's in the bag. If good things happen, pride's in the bag. It's all this bag you carry around. And faith has no baggage. Faith says, enough with that, enough with me, enough with what I'm going to carry, enough of my sins. I'm going to be the one who says, Jesus, you're my all. That's what we teach our children. Jesus, you're my all. Wow. So just Jesus, he's the way. In that way to the way in which we must walk and our children must walk, faith. Now, how's that done? There's uh, two different ways of looking at this way that the child should go, that phrase. Literally, in the Hebrew language, we read that there's a child, and we are to teach that child or dedicate that child, consecrate that child to this beginning of his mouth. There's the Hebrew graphic language, the beginning of his mouth, or the mouth that's in according to his character. People have translated it differently. The idea seems to be there, and, and I would agree with this, that there's a child who needs to be instructed in the way right early on so that that child at this impressionable age is influenced by your instruction and there will be this permanency about the instruction. Roman Catholics will say that, you know, give me a child, he's five or six or earlier, and I'll have him for life. And that's a, a biblical concept right in this text. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, the end of his life, he'll not depart from it. And the idea, again, seems to be that this child is in the beginning of his way, in his mouth. There's that mouth, that beginning, that mouth of something, that entrance to something, the entrance of life. At the entrance of life, the very beginning, before even their toddlers, when they're on mother's breast, you teach them the things of Jesus and to believe on Jesus, and you call them to repent and to believe and to walk the godly way. An Arabic word that's related to the Semitic Hebrew group of languages even says that there's a reference here, or you know, some people think that, that there might be a reference here to a Hebrew or some midwife 
crushing grapes in by one way or another and, and, and putting the grapes and the juice of the grapes in the mouth of the, of the child, at the, in the palate of the child or somewhere by the gums. So that the application of these grapes and this juice and the sweetness of that would stimulate in the child the sucking, um, the sucking um, response, so that the child early on and as early as possible would go to the breast of mother and be fed properly. Something to stimulate that which is absolutely necessary for the life and the growth of the child, breastfeeding. There's certainly something startling and true of this, isn't there? The child needs to grow, and we are to be ourselves as newborn babes, desiring as a babe desires mother's milk, the newborn, or, or the milk of the word of God. And what people have said with this is that there's a certain way because the text really speaks of his way, the, his, his way, the mouth of his way that he should go. There's a certain way that all ch- or each child has that's peculiar to them. So the idea could be here that in our instruction, we are to teach children according as they can be taught. They all need mother's breasts, but... Right at the very beginning, we're to try to study the child and to figure out what kind of person they are. What kind of instructions best for that person so that this one may be stubborn and need you know, more hard-hitting instruction and, and a, the slap on the rump more than another. Another person might be more tender and would need our patience and our cuddling more than that harder person. Another person might be ADHD and so on and, and hyper. And so you gear your training to the kind of child that you have. People speak of different love languages in popular books that are necessary to raising little ones and then toddlers What kind of love do you show them? What personality do they have? How is it going to be that they respond in the best way possible to your overtures, to your pedagogy, to the rod, to your rebukes? How is that? Well, that's what some people say is the case here. We're to train up a child in his way that he he goes he, he goes. He just naturally goes a certain way. And you don't want to stifle that way. And it has to do with the personality, the temperament of the child. That particular child that you have, even though you've had six other or five other or 20 other children who might have been taught differently because they have different personalities and strengths and weaknesses. You've got to be careful as pedagogues here and be not just one size fits all, not only the message but the method, same way and so on. It's calling for a relationship, is the text 
say, the people of this school of schooling. So it's the way of the child that deal with the child just according as that child can be taught, the only way that will be the best for him. Now, this might not be so bad, and I think we ought to take heart to that. Take heart to that. There's every child of yours, and doesn't it amaze you, you've had more than one children, is different. Every single one. Every single one, they need this or that, and the other person needed that or this. This person needed a push. This person needed a hug. This person needs that and that. And, and there's, there's wisdom here, and we need to know our children and that way and to be intimate about it. But where are the, the, the psychologists of this day go with this? Secular psychologists, unbelievers, is that there's a way in this child which is not only a person, but which is the best for him regardless of what they say or regardless of the fact that they're ranting and raving because you won't let them have ice cream or something like that. Um, And you should just follow that way and, and yield to the person. And when by and by they hear from their their toddler peers in kindergarten that well, maybe there's another way for me other than the sex that I'm born in, you ought to yield to them when they say, yeah, you can be a man or you can be a boy and even though you're a girl, or you can be a girl even though you're a boy. That's where the unbelievers go here. And you see, they don't appreciate the completely, totally depraved nature of those born in Adam who have a way which is not only a way of personality, but it's the way of the devil. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, says God. So that goes so far. We want to be empathetic to our children and sensitive to each particular one. By the way, when you give your children different names, remember... It's because they're different people. You're recognizing that those little persons waiting to come out, even twins, are different. Triplets are different from one another. So that's one school of thought here on this schooling. There's an education that has to be sensitive to the need, the the very way of a child. But, beloved, I, I believe that it ought to be understood especially this way. There's a way that a child should go, not just a way that he will go. And the way that he should go, as the New King James, and I believe the King James translates it, is the way up, the way to God, and which needs training for us. We need to train the child in the ought of life. We ought to. We are obliged to believe in God. And this is the way that's foreign to us, and this is what makes training so difficult, and this is what makes it impossible, and this is what makes it so that we need God to help us to train the child because nobody wants to grow up. A child might grow up, but it doesn't grow up in and on its own. 
and needs the grace of God. And so this influences all of our training. So how do you train a child in, yes, sensitive to who they are and the way that they have about them, but in the way they should go, the way of Jesus? How do you train them so they believe? Well, beloved, it's with the Bible. This is the textbook. This is at the center of the curriculum. And it's amazing how this is forgotten sometimes when we're teaching subjects like history and geography and economics and mathematics and all the sciences and so on. We forget that the queen of, uh, of all the sciences is theology. And you can really only know what numbers are all about if you know the God of order. And you know what history is about when you remember that God is the one who is telling his story. And history is principally God in church history working to gather his church and to disciple the nations. So that's the first thing. You train up the child in the Lord Jesus and faith in him by bringing the Bible into the school, into all of your instruction in the home, and, of course, opening the Bible in the church and preaching and the doctrines of the Bible and the admonitions of the Bible. After all, doesn't Paul say that of the Scriptures, it's 2 Timothy 3, chapter 15, the Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. You've known them, he says to Timothy, since you were a little lad, a little covenant lad, and they were make you, able to make you wise unto salvation. And now let me tell you something about those Scriptures. They are inspired of God, inspired of God, and they are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the child and the man of God may be perfect and fully equipped for every good work. That's the textbook, the Constitution, the curriculum, whatever you want to call it. And yes, you need to instruct a child in training about all of these other things for living out the Christian life. They got to know something about history. They got to know something about reading, of course, read the Bible, writing, yes, communicate, arithmetic, yes, yes, and righteousness, of course the righteousness of Christ. So you train that way. Use the means that God gives to you, the means of grace in the church. This is the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. You train them. You train them in your home with the Bible open and you're reading it constantly. You train them in light of the word of God to uh, have done with lesser things and foolish entertainments so that you're serious disciples of the word of God. You train the child to have this as the principal volume on his shelf and in his mind and in his heart. You train them as parents. That's where it begins, in the house. You train them with the church so that homeschool isn't competing with church school. We are one. So very important. Very important. We're one in this. We're one in the education of the children. So we'll say tonight and see tonight, Peter is called to feed not only the sheep, but the lambs that are Christ's, the children. And we can't only consider that that Peter was called to teach his own children, but the church's children. This is the calling of all of us, engaged in this wonderful 
teaching lesson. And this is out of love, as we said before in Deuteronomy 6, the first of the Shema is, Hear, O Israel, love God. And this is why we do this. We love God. And we love God's children. And we say they're not our children, they're God's children. We dedicate the child to God. And more than that, we bring them to God in baptism and instruction. And and we want them to learn the way of Jesus. Well, there's nothing of significance at all in our homes. So educators and educated, this is how we do this. And it's impossible. We should know that. This training is is so very difficult. The child will show its rebellious nature, and that's why there's need of a rod, no matter what the psychologists say and the egalitarians say and the nice people say and those who hate the God of holiness say the rod is necessary. The rod of correction will drive up the foolishness that's bound up in the heart of a child, drive it far from him. So spare not the rod, only do it gently but righteously, and knowing this comes from God who loves them through you who love them and want the best for them, sometimes it takes this kind of discipline. So we do this, and we need the grace of God for it. The children not only are the problem, but the mentors are. We're just too lazy. I'll tell you this, we are lazy. We are lazy, too lazy to give the time of day to our children. The time of day to the flock. The time of day to what needs care. And to rid the life of weeds and ourself of all these other things. We ourselves need training too, don't we? Train up a child, hold it. Make sure you're trained yourself. You're a disciple, you're disciplined, you're a soldier. We cannot be training children who see the hypocrisy in us, who see that all we care about is our own leisure and our own rest, and I don't want to talk to you, I'm just too busy, and I worked at the office, and now I just hang up my workshop clothes. No, we need to be disciple, and ourselves in the Word, and ourselves on our knees, And only God can do this then. That's why we need the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. And we need the grace of God that has appeared in these latter days teaching us all things and also that we must be holy. So, beloved, this is the calling. This is the matter, the education of the child, the training of the child. And the blessing that follows is simply beautiful. When that child is old, he'll not depart from it. That's the promise. Now, what does that mean? Some people say this simply means that you train your child up, you send them to church, you have them read their Bible, and pray, and, all this, and then they're all set. Automatically, they're saved. They're a child not only of the church and of yours, but of God, and everyone's saved. Now, hardly can people really believe this, though, because not everybody is saved. In fact, maybe some people in our own families, in this own church, they're they're not saved, and they're not going to be saved. What then of this promise? Well, the fact is, beloved, this is a proverb, and this is wisdom that is ordinarily 
indeed the case. When the child is old, they will not depart from it. Ordinarily, that's the case. Just as you reap what you sow, and Galatians in the New Testament speaks of that, sow to the Spirit and you'll reap of the Spirit. So these are general rules, general commandments, general promises in the Word of God that you do this or this happens and this will be the result. And actually, the exceptions to this, the fact that some people do go astray, prove the rule because those are exceptions. Those are exceptions. But here's the point. There is a promise to us, a calling to us, do your work. Train your children. Train the church's children. Be involved in this great educational institution, the church and family of God. The pillar and ground of truth. It's the greatest thing on earth. This is the institution of the highest learning. Forget Harvard. Forget Yale. Forget USC. Forget whatever. The church of Jesus Christ, this is where you go. And you don't have to pay tuition to get here. You're led here by grace to be in the school of God and of Christ now and forever. This is the place where God saves his own. This is where the people respond to what is revealed, their calling. You do this. And this is where the promise is, I will save my own through your doing this. Means of grace. This is why we preach. Not everybody will be saved. This is why we teach. Not every one of our children will not depart from the way. But there are gods who will not depart from the way. And this is the general rule. Thank God. I can see it. There's people here who have been instructed since they were knee-high to a grasshopper, just little kids, and they're still carrying on in the way. That's you, beloved. And think of that. You've parted from God in many times, and I have too, and we're prone to depart from the way and to leave Jesus and to find our sufficiency in the world or half of it in the world and half of it in Jesus. And if it were up to us, we show ourselves to be those who are just untrainable, incorrigible. But God has kept us. Here's the promise of his grace to you and your own. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful word of God. Teach us of the way. Oh, Lord, empower us to train our children and to be ourselves trained in the school of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to know the promise and when we fall to know the promise that you are the God who is the teacher of slow learners and of recalcitrants and the those who smoke in the back of the bus. You're the God who loves your own and you save your own from among our midst through the educational ministry of the church, the powerful preaching of the gospel, and the instruction of moms and dads. God, help us to be thankful for this, thankful for the training you give here and that you have given wherever you've led us before. Thanks for your faithfulness, Lord. The way of Jesus 
is the way, the truth, and the life forevermore. In him we trust. Amen.